there's plenty of things in the world that are infectious. I mean, coronavirus being one, but I don't know that there's anything as infectious as a child's laughter. You know what I'm talking about? Like we learned it early on, like when our toddlers would just be belly laughing or cackling, we would immediately like go try to find them. If we heard them in the house, we want to investigate what was making them cackle, you know? It happened recently with my own kids, like they're older now, but I mean, I still do it. I was trained to go find out what makes them laugh. I heard them laugh and I heard them cackling outside my bedroom door. They were in the living room and they were watching something. I wasn't sure what, but as soon as I heard them belly laugh, I had to go check it out. I walk outside, make a cup of coffee. I turn around and I see Tom and Jerry, you know, I mean, just the classics, right? I, and so one of my old favorites, and this happened to be one where, do you guys remember the Tom and Jerry where Tom has like influence on his shoulders, like angel and devil? You know what I'm it's just him, but with halo and horns. And so I'm, I'm like, I remember this one. This is great. I'm going to sit down and enjoy this with my kids. And we just had the best time watching him choose the devil's influence and chaos ensued over and over again. That was, that was the comedy, right? And so we had the best time. And it made me think about that image as we get into today's passage. See, James is trying to remind us that the wisdom we choose is incredibly important. But in our lives, we're not cartoons. So where we draw our wisdom and where we draw influence has way more costly effect on our lives than maybe Tom the cat. And so wisdom in the Old Testament, James would be very familiar with this. As a Hebrew who was a scholar, the, the word wisdom or wise shows up over 300 times in the Old Testament alone, nearly 100 times in Proverbs alone. And so Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, continually points us back to wisdom. And what the Hebrew understood was this, what they knew and what James is trying to get his New Testament church to understand for us is that knowledge is, or wisdom is not about information accumulation. It's not about just what you can retain or what you can hold on to as knowledge. It's always and will always be about knowledge applied. So it's not about information accumulation as much as it is about knowledge application. And that's what James wants us to understand here as we get into five verses in James chapter three. Proverbs three, five and six, he says it like this. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him he will make your paths straight. So what he is saying, and I'll use that imagery of Tomcat, what he said, the influence that he heard in his ear immediately led to a course of action, immediately led to steps. And so wisdom is never just to be spoken to in our ear and done nothing with. He's saying that we choose the wisdom as a source or a well that informs our lives and it is always expected by God that we do something with said wisdom. Solomon who wrote these words was the wisest to ever live and he points out that understanding from a sovereign Lord leads to discerning proper direction and appropriate or accurate steps. In 1 Kings 3, it says that Solomon had a time with the Lord and God asked him, you can have anything that you want, just ask of me. And Solomon, instead of asking for riches or for fame, he said, I want wisdom. I want supernatural discernment. In a moment, we're going we're to kind of walk through 
his spiritual discernment on display. But I want, I want to tell you the reason that is important, and, and this is what James is pointing to here. When you see supernatural wisdom or supernatural dis, uh, wisdom on display, you can see that someone is drawing from a deeper well. There's a couple things that are always going to show up, and these are not going to be in your notes, but I want you to write these down. When we seek wisdom from above, we seek godly wisdom, you're always going to find peace and meekness there. You're going to find peace and meekness. When you seek wisdom from below, when you seek wisdom from the earth or the unspiritual wisdom of humans, you're going to find panic. You're going to find distraction. In the case of Solomon, who asked for wisdom in, in 1, Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Kings 3, that actually was put on display nearly immediately because two women, two mothers, one of which who had a child die, who was heartbroken, stole the living child from her friend, placed the dead baby, her own, next to this woman, her friend, and then there became a bickering between the two women over who the live child belonged to. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but I want you to understand, the way that Solomon, because this, this whole exchange, this she said, she said thing, made it all the way to the king's palace, all the way to the king's throne, and he ultimately had to rule in favor of one or the other. Because the Hebrews understood the king was a source of wisdom to them. He was their leader. He was a source of resolve. They had to be able to trust what he said. I want to encourage you this morning. The world is looking for resolve. The world is looking for wisdom. And we are God's ambassadors to said world. So what does that mean? Like the Hebrews look to their king, the world is looking to Jesus' church. And where we draw wisdom is incredibly telling. And he says that how we apply wisdom will reveal where we drew it from. So as much as the Hebrews sought the king, the world is seeking us, folks. James reminds us of this in James 3, 13 through 18. And in this message I've called His Way or Your Own. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So your two points today, and James is pointing those out, there are two types of wisdom. There's the wisdom of God, and there's the wisdom of man. So first of all, let's talk about the wisdom from above. This is godly, heavenly, eternal wisdom. Two marking principles, I gave them to you already, say it again, are peace and meekness will be evident from someone who draws wisdom from the Lord. In verse 13, he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So he says, at some point in your life, if you're drawing from the well of wisdom from above, if you're drawing from godly wisdom, it's going to be evidenced in your actions. It's going to be evident in how you respond to things. That wisdom is always evidenced by our deeds because it's knowledge applied. Like, that's not just for the Hebrews. That's not just Old Testament. James brings this forth in the New Testament. He says, New Testament church. It's always about how you apply the knowledge that you have. 
True godly wisdom will always be revealed in humble meekness. And that's the interesting thing about, and we're going to talk about it, how Solomon approached this, this issue with the women. They're frantic. They're panicking. The king is the opposite of that. See, meekness is always controlled strength. I want you to have the image of like a dam holding back a large body of water. It is let out in increments so that the water up top that it's holding back won't flood the plain around it. And it, it lets it out so that the water, the body water, won't break the dam flooding everything below. So it's not let out all at once. It's let out in increments. How many of you know someone who just has a tendency that they don't speak a lot, but when they speak, their words hold weight? Okay? He's already instructed us, be quick to listen and slow to speak. My grandfather was like this. My grandfather would watch the chaos ensue in our house, and he would always hold his tongue. He wouldn't immediately engage. But when he did, when he did engage, the words that he used with us, the, the, the wisdom that he would impart was always so weighty. It was, in, it was intentional, and we listened intently because of what he had to say. He was a man of few words. But what he imparted had so much value. How many of you know someone like this? And you know what I'm talking about. Wisdom from above is marked by meekness. Verse 17 and 18 says, the godly wisdom is evidenced by peace. And we're going to get to that in a moment. We're going to talk about it on the backside of this sermon. But right here, we're going to discuss wisdom from above is evidenced by meekness. As an example of that meekness, I said that Solomon appeared resolved. Okay, so here's, here's what actually happened in that story in 1 Kings 3. These are two women, prostitutes, unsavory characters who are sleeping with their children next to them. One, unfortunately, and accidentally rolls over on her child, killing that child in her sleep. That child dies of SIDS. She wakes in the middle of the night, sees her, her dead baby, and she's heartbroken. So in her mind, she goes, what can I do? What should I do? There's a baby here that is living, and I want to be a mother. So she takes her dead baby, places it next to her friend, and she steals the live baby for herself. In the morning, how many of you know every mother knows their child? The other mother, who's looking at this dead baby next to her, goes, this is not my child, sees the live baby, her child, sitting in this other woman's arms, and they immediately begin to bicker, so much so that it caused a stir within the community. And the only way we know this is because it actually made it to the king's throne for him to decide. So everyone is like, we don't know who's telling the truth. She said, she said, we don't know what's happening. So here's what Solomon does. Solomon, really cool, really calculated, just looks at both of them and he says this. Okay, there's no way for me to determine who's actually telling the truth here. So we're going to cut the baby in half and each of you can have half a carcass and leave. Now, Solomon knows something because he's got a supernatural download from the Lord. He knows that no mother is going to allow this to happen. And exactly what he thought in advance happens. The mother goes, no, 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 no. Let her have the child. Let her have the child. I'd rather, any mother who loves their child would rather have their child healthy and alive in someone else's arms than, ha than half a carcass dead in their own, right? And so he imparts this wisdom that astonishes the people so much so that it goes down in Jewish history. And we're talking about it today that he was able to apply what God was letting him know inside. No mother is going to let their child die. So even if I can't hold my own child, let her have him so that my child can live. 
it's that picture of water coming out of the dam being let out in increments. It's controlled strength. He was composed and completely in control the entire time. First three Kings tells us that when we witness wisdom on display, it discerns accurately. Like it gives us steps that we can hold to. In this interaction, not only is Solomon calm and at peace, but he's in control. Let me ask you this. How, can, how in control are you because of the supernatural download that God is giving you? How at peace are you? When people look at your life, do they speak of you when they say they don't speak a whole lot, but when they do, man, their words have weight. They just seem to discern accurately how we're to respond in any given situation. Nothing is too chaotic and nothing seems to toss them. They're just steady. They're just composed. The world is looking for a composed church of Jesus. Because in this example, you see the frantic woman, the mother who is hurt, who's heartbroken over her dead child, respond with wisdom from below. She immediately responds with logic. So that's our second point. We can always respond to chaos with wisdom from below. We can respond with the wisdom of man, that which is from here on the earth, that which is set ablaze by hell itself, James says. Because here it is, it, her life and this response, this exchange, we see two things. We see panic and distraction. Anyone who is seeking wisdom from the earth, from below, those are two marking principles. There's going to be panic and distraction within them. He says it's an identifying principle of someone seeking wisdom from the world. They're always going to be. Listen, I need you to think about yourself. I need you to think about your friends. Those who are seeking wisdom from the world, no matter who they claim to worship, is going to be proud, disorderly, and distracted. And the source of that disorder and the source of that distraction is selfish ambition, as we saw displayed in the woman who had lost her child. Heartbroken, she responds in bitter envy, because bitter envy always evidences itself in selfish ambition. When motivated by human wisdom, self-centered wisdom is always inevitable. Do you hear that? Living for one's own ideas, for our own agendas, for our own desires, by our own standards, the only thing that we will measure anything by, if we are envious and we are bitter because we are after something but we've yet to attain it this woman was upset that her baby was dead and so what did she do she immediately took her friend's live baby as if it were her own when you have selfish ambition you're after your own agenda whoever and whatever will affirm you is considered good and friendly in that pursuit how many of you not you but you know someone who has made some poor decisions in life and they didn't really seem to be um, drawing that wisdom from the Lord. It was just, they made a mistake and that was completely influenced by earthly wisdom. And when they went to talk to their friends about it, their friends patted them back. They're like, it totally makes sense. That's logical. You're okay. You're good. And they, and they felt better about themselves. Not you, just a friend. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have ever thought, I'm taking a step in the wrong direction and I'm going to just do what I want here? And instead of turning to God because you knew that was a step in the wrong direction, who do you turn to? People. Anyone who will affirm what I'm doing or saying, someone who can say it's okay for you just to continue down this path. 
And it's even better if the people that I ask that of are Christians. Because they're godly, obviously, right? We can justify anything, folks, right? But the converse is true. If you are going to be affirmed to your end, whatever that end is, by those who, or, 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 or the circumstances that are affirming what you desire, what you want, your agenda, anyone who stands in the way of that, or any circumstance that gets in the way of that, whoever or whatever stands in the way to that end is considered an enemy. You see, those engulfed in self-serving world having a principle of selfishness inform their wisdom will resent anyone, listen, or anything that comes between them and their objectives. They resent anyone who is going to get in the way. This is evidenced by the mother who had lost her child. What'd she do? I'm going to take this baby for myself. And when the true mother begins to fight for said baby, what'd she do? She fights furiously. You're not going to take. I've already lost. I'm going to take for myself. You know what I'm saying? She's hurt. She's in misery. And how many of you know what misery loves? It loves company. She's heartbroken. She's experienced a lack of peace. And in her moment of heartbreak, she panics insanely. And so what she does, James says, the wisdom she chose in this moment was earthly, unspiritual, and listen, demonic, set on fire by hell itself. What did she do? Let's think about it. Let's go back. The Bible says that the, the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from you and I. Okay, how did she respond? How can we know and be affirmed that her wisdom and her actions were informed by Satan himself? Well, her baby's gone, dead. She's heartbroken. What's she do? First thing, steal. She steals the baby next to her, the one that's living, and tries to take and pawn off this child as her own. And when it is posed by Solomon, how do we fix this? I can't trust either one of you. I'm not gonna get in a... She said, she said, Matt, so let's just kill the baby and you can each have half. And she goes, I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. Why? Because I've already lost. And misery loves company. And if I'm gonna hurt, I want everyone else to hurt with me. So I will steal, I'll kill, and I'll destroy my friend's life in hopes that she'll hurt like me. Does that sound more like Jesus or the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? It's not that hard. And so it exposes itself from where this woman has drawn her well of wisdom. She's responding in logic. How many of your decisions in life right now are driven by selfish ambition? How many of us have been hurt, and that hurt goes back years. I mean, I don't even know the depth to which you've been hurt, but because that exists in you, bitterness and envy has just been stewing, and every response that you make is informed by that hurt, set ablaze by hell itself, still killing and destroying, saying whatever you can to convince people, doing whatever you can to keep your objective and get ahead. Hello? 
Hurt people will always what? Hurt people. It's exactly right. But maybe it's not that intense. Maybe it's not from a place of brokenness or hurt. Maybe, maybe you are just moving along in life after your own agenda because you've considered the practical data in front of you. The math just works. It adds up. I mean, it's logical. And the opinions of others pat you on the back for it. They affirm you. So instead of it just being like, like hurt or deep-seated hurt, that's been taken care of. But the the data just makes sense humanly so free of any spiritual influence or advice, I'm going to take the human calculation based on my own logic and I'm gonna respond in that. Now, I know no one in this room has ever responded like that, but you might know someone who has at least once in your life. And there's something that happens when we do that. We get distracted, he says. We get all over the place. We become ungrounded. This is, this is what Jesus said of us. He said those who seek to build their house on sand will what? Have it sifted by circumstances of life. But those who build their house on stone, on a solid foundation, it'll stand. James says, as we draw wisdom from below, we're going to be distracted. Verse 16, from where you have bitter envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. He's saying where selfishness reigns, you're going to find disorder. You're going to find those people who are frantic. A lack of order is incredibly telling of a life that is completely free of God's will or his wisdom or his influence. So if you know people, someone who just seems all over the place, you can also assume that they're responding out of where they're drawing wisdom. And that's not from him. Because God is a God of order, period. Solomon's own father, David, who was king before Solomon, taught him this. When he sought to retrieve the Ark of the Covenant, which was said to have the presence of God in it, it inhabited it. He went to, you can read about this in 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles. He went to find the Ark and bring it back. And here's what David did. Having no real history himself with the Ark, he built a cart that was beautiful he got all of Israel together for a parade, went and got the ark, placed it in the ark, oh, took that ark, put it on the cart, and pushed it back towards Jerusalem. It says that when the ark stumbled off the cart, one man, Uzzah, tried to hold it up, to keep it from hitting the ground. And what happened to Uzzah? He died. He was struck there by God. Why? Because even though it looked pretty. And even though it logically made sense to David and maybe everyone with him, it was free of God's order. It was completely disorderly. This is responding in solely human wisdom, not God's. And so Uzzah died. And here's the thing, where disorder is, death continues, church. So he goes back angry that Uzzah's dead. He says, how can the ark come to me? He seeks the guidance of the priests who tell him an orderly fashion in which the ark is to be carried. And when he finds the equipment in that order, he applies it and says that they went back, had a parade, brought the ark out, and they wouldn't even walk six paces without building an altar unto the Lord and worshiping because God had allowed them to, to live six steps in his presence, just six steps. 
No one died. When we followed the order of God, life and jubilation and peace happened. Not panic and distraction. Not the opposite. That's what we had last time. When I did it my way, people died. We do it his way, peace and meekness and jubilation. Do you hear what, do you hear what David is saying? Do you hear what Solomon, who said, when he's having an engagement with God, you can have anything, riches or fame. He goes, you know what? I watched my dad do this. I'm going to ask for wisdom. And I'm going to ask for peace and for meekness. And James goes, hey, we church ought to be doing the same thing. Instead of asking for riches and fame and pursuing that agenda, why don't you just ask God for wisdom? So that the things you do in life might be of aid to the world that is living in chaos. They're looking to you like Hebrews look to kings. So be a people of peace and meekness. He says that Proverbs 16, 9. That in the hearts of humans, they plan their course. But the Lord establishes their steps. Solomon wrote that. Solomon went on to say in in Proverbs 19.3, that if you seek your will, folly and ruin will follow. But if you seek God's will, only peace and prosperity come. So when our lives are influenced primarily by what God says, listen, I need to say this, and I need you to hear this. We will be at peace. And how many of you need peace? How many of you know someone in this time of endless summer where we wake up every day and it's Groundhog Day, you know some people who need some peace. We have opportunity for life to spring up within us and others benefit from it. Verse 17 and 18, directly connected to verse 13 here, but it says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. He's saying that wisdom that is born from above is pure. It's impartial. It's sincere. And you can know that a church has been influenced by the wisdom of God himself when their response to the world is pure, impartial, and sincere. How many of you just love when someone is honest with you? Isn't it refreshing? When someone is just pure, unbiased, can I ask you this question? How many of your personal decisions in life are driven by unbiased equality? Free of any partial agenda or preference, just pure. Innocently trusting that God's sovereign direct direction is for you. It's his way, not your own, and you're choosing it. Discerning his way by pursuing his heart through the scriptures or through prayer, what God wants on any given situation. How many of you are facing some situations right now? Where are you turning, church? What he's saying in verse 17 and 18 is this, when he says that they'll sow peace. When we draw from the well of God, and our wisdom comes from him, just like Solomon on display with these two women, calm, cool, and collected, his wisdom was supernatural, came from God himself, and so he could present even the most heinous of propositions, but something good was going to come out of it. He knew that he wasn't killing a baby there in advance because he knew the true mother would fight for her baby to live. 
When we draw from that kind of well, when we draw from the well of God and we know that God is sovereign and all that he does for us is good, then we, his church, can respond in like manner. And in fact, when we do, our peace is transferred to others. They start to be incurious. They start to inquire about where our peace comes from and the source thereof. So when we sow peace in meekness, other people have the life of Jesus start to beckon them by the spirit of God that dwells us, starts to get supplanted into them. It leads to people's salvation. Hello? When you trust the conviction and the direction of the spirit that indwells you, Jesus, God's Holy Spirit in you, and you respond out of that wisdom and meekness to others, peace goes forth to others, and the cycle of righteousness can continue. It can happen. Here's the question. Church, how often are you sharing Jesus by your meek acts drawn from the wisdom that you have of God? In a heart and in an act of peace. It beckons a line of questioning for us. (laughs) It is no doubt that we share with everyone that we know where our loyalties lie in fanfare. How many of you know your friend's favorite team? right? They wear their colors. They talk about them. They know their stats. We will share our opinions about our preferred operating system, whether it be Apple or Android. And some people are vicious about this, right? We will share unbridled, apparently, our position politically to the whole world in a country that was formed on democracy and civil debate. It's like it's been eradicated, And we just have no reservation telling others about the products or the politics that we believe in. But let me ask you, how often are you sharing Jesus, church? How often is your life marked by peace and the steps you take marked by meekness, evidence of Jesus' life so that they inquire and you share him with a world that is in chaos and quite honestly is looking for peace, much like those women who came frantic to the king and found wisdom. Is the church of Jesus wise today because we draw from him like Solomon did? So again, this morning in conclusion, as the band is coming back, let me ask you, how distracted are you? And is that not telling of where you draw your wisdom? Are you engaged primarily in the spreading of peace through the gospel of Jesus or Are you engaged in spreading propaganda? You know, your agenda. You see, a life changed by Jesus means that our, I said this last week, our entire world, our paradigm shifts, instead of the world revolving around us, we revolve around him like planets are on the sun and we cannot help but share with the world around us in peace and in meek steps, wisdom and weighty words, who it is we draw wisdom from, our source of life. James is leading us, church, this morning to consider our priority, our source of direction, and does our lifestyle. Listen, no matter who you claim, (laughs) no matter what you say, do you have a lifestyle that is influenced primarily by Jesus, your Savior, over yourself? And would people in your life affirm that? Will they attest to that? Yes, there's no doubt. That dude, that gal, she draws from a deep well. 
Everything about them peaceful. Everything about them meek and controlled. Or do they look at you and go, he's just as chaotic as I am. She's just as distracted as me. Offering them no hope. This morning, are you at peace, church? Do you seek Jesus first when you need direction? I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to think on this. Do you seek Jesus first when you need direction? Are you submitted to Jesus first when he speaks, even if what he speaks is contrary to your own desires? Do you share Jesus first when people want to know the secret to your peace and your stable resolve? This morning, these are the questions that James desires that we would ask of ourselves as followers of the Lord. And this morning, we're not responding to James. We're not responding to Justin. We're responding to Jesus right here and now. Father, I thank you for Jesus and I thank you for the wisdom that is available to us in him. It's pure. It leads to peace. It leads to controlled strength. Father, may your church be a people who live and look like Jesus because it's from Jesus we draw our wisdom. It's in his name we ask these things. Amen.